Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. And today I'm very happy to have Ezel Sabine with me. And she is the CEO and co-founder of StringBio. And StringBio is a biotechnology company that is solving one of the biggest challenges that we face on our planet of food insecurity and food sustainability. And through a very unlikely source and something you definitely wouldn't think of that could be related and converted into food, which is methane. And they're focusing right now on the animal feed industry, but hopefully one day they will move into human food. And I will let her expand on this uh, because she will obviously do a much, much better job. But to start off with, hey, Izzel, how are you? Doing well, Arman. Thank you so much. Thanks for having uh, myself and String on the call today. Uh, it's kind of, I think, really interesting times for us to be talking about the work that we do at String, because I think it's particularly relevant to what is going on in the world around us today. Yeah, definitely, and it's a very, you know, crazy, uncertain time, especially right now that we're that we're going through. Um, but just to start off with, before we get into that, what led you to String Bio? You know, where did you grow up? What did you study? And I know you were involved in a few startups before, you know, founding your own company. Could you just expand on that a little bit? Sure, sure. So I am a hardcore technologist at heart. Uh, started, uh, you know, I mean, started my career in the U.S., working in the biotechnology space, but prior to that had done my undergrad in India in biotechnology and only because I I didn't want to do uh, medicine and uh, I was fascinated by the idea of being able to work at the intersection of biology and engineering. And there was this you know very unique course that allowed you to do that. <clears throat> and that's kind of just what got me into the biotech program itself. Uh, Post that, went to the U.S. for a Ph.D. and then post that, got a very interesting opportunity to work with one of the startups that had come out of Caltech. And interestingly, this was a startup that came from the lab of uh, Professor Francis Arnold, who won the Nobel Prize in uh, chemistry last year. Right. So got started in uh, developing uh, technology using biology. So uh, one thing for me that was um, very certain for myself, even when I was starting down in the biotech space, was that I wanted to really work on the application side of things. So I wanted to be able to take um, something to market during my time or see uh, something to the people, right, during my time. That was mm-hmm. that was something that I was very driven by. And um, so started with this company called Jivo, that was a spin-off from Caltech. Post that, worked with a couple of other startups, but the storyline in all these places was mostly the same. It was early stage technology technology development and then scaling the product and being able to take the product to market. Uh, So once Mm -hmm. I got started in that line, right, once you do... uh, um, that kind of early stage technology development, particularly within a startup environment, it kind of caught, I caught the bug, so to speak. And that is something that I've been doing um, from Jivo days to the times of string now. 
Wow. And uh, what uh, what fascinated you about biotechnology from such an early age? To be honest, I think uh, when I started, it was a very naive um, view of what you could potentially do. Uh, because I remember talking to one of my uh, physics professors who first talked to me about, and, uh, you know, I always think about some of the early examples that he had used back then uh, was that this would be something that we would use to be able to make designer babies. <laughs> what? <laughs> right? so that, yeah. I know. I know. But back then, you know, biotech was... Um, uh, we knew very little about what we could do with this, mm -hmm. but I think the potential of what we would be able to do was very much uh, uh, was very much there, and I think that was the driver. And to be very honest with you, if you see how the uh, field itself has evolved, right, in the last 15, 20 years, mm -hmm. from uh, starting off in the pharmaceutical space, I think today biotech has evolved to a point where uh, the technologies and the tools uh, we are developing in this space, I think, are impacting pretty much every industry out there, right? If you think about mm. the work that we're doing at String in terms of food, environment, there are other companies that are doing work in terms of um, new age clothing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so there are very uh, non-traditional industries, I think, that are being impacted by biotechnology today. And I think the power of this field is just immense. Wow. And so you were part of these three startups. And, you know, like you said, you were focusing a lot on the technology aspect. What led you to saying, OK, look, it's time now to start my own company. And what led you to the idea? Because honestly, this idea of turning methane into food products is you know, very interesting. And I don't know if many people have heard about it, about it or even thought about, you know, the possibility of it, you know, for the common man who may not be a part of, you know, or have too much knowledge in biotechnology. So could you talk about a little bit, firstly, why you decided to start the company? And secondly, how did you find this solution to this problem? Yeah, yeah, interesting question. Yeah. Um, why why did I decide to start something? So um, having worked in the startup space, right? Uh, one mm -hmm. thing that was very clear was that there were some fundamental gaps in terms of how we were kind of leveraging biology itself. And I, when I mean, what I mean by biology is that uh, when you look at um, the, ca the catalytic activity that uh, cells and enzymes can do, I think uh, they are capable of a lot more interesting chemistries, right, than what chemical catalysis offers us. And mm -hmm. I, um, so I was driven by the fact that, you know, we, we needed to develop better tools and better ways and faster ways to be able to leverage these kind of biological catalysts. Um, so I think that's, and having been in the startup space, that was the driver to be able to say, okay, let's try and see if I could, I had some ideas about the kind of tools that we could develop. That was one. And uh, incidentally, it uh, it was also, you know, I'd spent about 13, 14 years in the US working in the industry. And at that time, I, um, both me as well as Vinod, my husband, both of us were kind of driven to see, okay, 
you know, can we try to do innovation-based work from India and develop mm-hmm. solutions that are more pertinent to perhaps the Indian-Asian geography that can then be taken out globally? I think mm-hmm. it was kind of these two things coming together. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we started String in the U.S. and then moved uh, early operations to Bangalore. Uh, with that, but I think it was primarily one. It was technology, and two, it was also a drive to do uh, work. You know, kind of meaningful work in your life. If you are going to spend every waking hour thinking about something, then uh, uh, trying to do something that can have a bigger impact for society. I think that was the other driver there. Okay. Wow. Very cool. And you know, this theme of talent coming back from the US to India to solve some of our largest problems here, it seems to be something that several of us are interested in, you know, from the youth who want to now stay in India to see what impact they can make to several coming back from the US like yourself to, you know, creating the solutions. It's it's very cool to see. And, you know, it's a function of seeing how, you know, all of these challenges you know, to entrepreneurs like yourself, these huge challenges are, you know, exciting rather than, you know, daunting. And it's cool to see that we're getting to a place technologically where we can solve these things. And now um, moving a bit toward the business. Um, so how did you identify food sustainability as the problem? And how are you guys going about solving that problem? So, um, see, our focus at String has been to um, kind of to take products, what we call ingredients to market, right? That mm-hmm. uh, that can really uh, help us define new value chains okay. or evolving value chains. So if you look at the world around us, you know, I think um, one of the one of the things, and this is particularly highlighted by the events today is, as the population is expanding, right, kind of mm-hmm. the toll that we are placing in the environment around us, for us to be able to live our lives the way we want to live today, I think that toll is particularly high. And this is mm-hmm. true if you look at the food system that we've uh, set up. This is true if you look at the consumer demands that we have, right, for any system if you take. The toll that we are placing to be able to Uh, live our lives this way and make the things that we want in our everyday life, I think that is particularly high. And what we are trying to do at String is figure out what are smart ways in which we could continue to provide the things that we need, but are we able to do, but be able to do that by lessening the toll that we have on the environment, right? So that's kind of the driver for us. And uh, so with this, we are taking, we are building these ingredients that we can take into the food system first, but also Mm -hmm. ingredients that we can take into other sectors as well, which can um, have much better sustainability, right? Which have much better traceability and hence much better safety. But because we're making it from a greenhouse gas, which I'll come to in a bit, um, they are also made... um, they're also made without placing this higher toll on our ecosystem, right? And that's what I meant by when I said uh, defining new value chains, mm-hmm. right? Because 
like to give you a simple example as you said you know for us one of the first products we are taking to market with this uh, are proteins alternative proteins that can go into the food and feed sector and just to mm-hmm. take a step back and paint a picture of what the larger industry today looks like right and when you talk about alternative proteins these can go into the animal feed sector as a source of protein for the animals but these can also go directly into the human uh, nutrition market as a source of proteins directly for the humans now for a second mm-hmm. if you look at the animal feed sector what happens is um the current existing sources of proteins that we have right to be able to grow our uh, poultry to be able to grow our chickens in our poultry farms and to be able to grow our um, you know our fishes we are growing large amounts of soybean meal or we are, we are capturing a large amount of fishes from the ocean converting them into protein sources and feeding it to these animal farms right mm. uh, but also the complexity is that the supply chain for this is very like for example if you look at the fish meal you have fish that is caught let's say off the coast of chile that is converted to fish meal there and then makes its way to a fish feed farm somewhere in vietnam let's say and then to an animal farm somewhere in china and then the fish grown here then makes its way back to a european market or an american market right mm. now one of the things that has to happen is as the population um, grows right and as our uh, as our demand for meat continues to grow is expected to grow by at least 60 to 70% over the next 20 years this supply chain also has to scale but as mm-hmm. you and i know right scaling up this supply chain as is is not sustainable right because mm-hmm. if you look at what we are doing today already to be able to eat the fish that we love and the chicken that we love uh we are placing a huge toll on the environment right whether it's the oceans it's the air that we breathe it's the water that we have in our everyday like the quality of these are dropping so clearly the the indicator is that to be able to meet the demands that the future or even the current market has we can't continue with the same kind of practices right the value chain has to change and it has to change for the better for us to be able to uh, do this in a healthy way going forward mm. so that's where uh, that's where string solution comes in so what we have is we've got um, one of the first products we are uh, scaling up are alternative proteins that are made uh, utilizing meat as a carbon source but using a biological platform right and uh, scaling this up what it allows us to do is one uh because we are manufacturing these proteins you have mm-hmm. a lot of traceability in the product right so uh you know exactly what is going in to make your protein that's coming up so there's a lot of traceability and safety in terms of manufacturing uh given that you're using a greenhouse gas that would normally be vented converting that to protein there is inherent sustainability in these products mm-hmm. and one of the very other important things arman is it allows us to look at uh, localized manufacturing going forward and what do i mean by that is uh, if you look at let's say a methane source right um, methane source is globally distributed 
right? US has a strong supply, Russia has a strong supply, um, Europe has a strong supply, India can have potentially large volume of biogas. So when mm-hmm. you're looking at localized supply, you can also enable localized manufacturing of food. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be another big differentiator for technologies like ours. So, um, you know, just to kind of wrap up what you just said, um, you you at String at String are taking these um, you know these greenhouse gases and using those are creating the building blocks that could be applied to several different products. And the first one you guys are looking at is the food and feed industry. Now. How are you able to do this using a greenhouse gas? Like you mentioned, that is a very interesting concept because when we think of protein, we think of, you know, it's coming from some sort of animal, whether it be a cow or a chicken or fish, like you said. But you were saying you were capturing a greenhouse gas like methane and able to repurpose this. And so can you can you talk a little bit at a high level towards how you're able to do that and what really is a protein? Is it just, you know, the formation of certain amino acids? You know, how do we define a protein and how are you doing this transformation from a greenhouse gas to this end protein? Sure, sure. So uh, very simply put, what we are doing is uh, we've got, we work with bacterial cells that love to use, uh, that love to um, um, get their energy from methane okay Mm -hmm. so we then take these bacterial cells that eat methane and grow in uh in and grow right so then we uh so it's very similar to let's say a brewing process right where uh you feed uh, let's say barley to yeast and the yeast then converts the barley into alcohol very similar Mm -hmm. here we take bacteria they feed them the methane, they eat this methane, and then they convert that methane into proteins. Okay? Mm. And proteins, they are not a single protein, they are a mixture of proteins. Uh, okay. So basically, when you... Uh, so one of the key things that, uh, uh, what, that defines protein requirements for our body or for an animal's body is, like you, like you mentioned, the amino acids, right, that the proteins have. So the proteins are a string of amino acid molecules and each species, whether it's a shrimp or a fish or a human being, they need specific levels of amino acids that can then be used for their own uh, growth and their own, uh, let's say, muscle development as well as their own uh, uh, cell division, right? So Mm what we're doing here is we are taking the methane, we're using that bacteria to convert the methane into uh, protein. And then we're purifying this protein, which is a mixture of amino acids, and then using that for uh, feeding it to a fish or feeding it to a chicken and hoping to eventually feed it directly to humans, right? So that's, and uh, from a technology perspective, what it looks like is you have like these large uh, vats. So if you've gone to a brewery around Bangalore, or mm-hmm. uh, would have seen these stainless steel vessels that are there in which they brew beer. Use kind yep. of stainless steel vessels, except here we are uh, brewing uh, protein, 
So we are feeding methane into these stainless steel vessels that have the bacteria in them. And from that, we purify the protein out and uh, make it fit enough for a food and feed application. Wow. And, and how do you capture this methane? You know, is it... And just to, you know, clarify for my own, you know, personal uh, knowledge and probably my own personal, you know, gaps in knowledge, is, is methane, you know, largely created from, you know, weirdly enough, is it created from cow waste or, you know, animal waste? And is that what you're capturing and how are you, could you explain that first of all? And then could you explain how you were capturing this waste? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's a very common question that we get asked all the time. Uh, so the methane, the sources of methane for us are threefold. So the first source of methane is, uh, you know, what you call as natural gas. So wherever we dig for oil, right, mm-hmm. you also use uh, gas, or in some cases you have uh, gas wells. Uh, this is uh, natural gas coming from within the, uh, you know, from within the earth. They are largely composed of methane together with other alkanes like ethane, propane, and butane. So that's one of the sources of methane that we work with. The other source of methane is called biogas. So this is when you take waste and then you use some uh, microbe to convert that waste material into a gaseous form. You get a gas that is, uh, let's say, anywhere from a 50 to a 65, 70% methane in composition, right? So that is mm-hmm. called and the third uh, source of methane that we work with is from landfills, right? So when you're mm. based in a large area, again, that waste gets converted to methane mixed with a lot of other constituents, and that is another source of methane. So uh, incidentally, you know, you're right. Uh, there is biomethane, which is what is emitted from cows, and but that's not something that can be captured economically and used, right? Mm. Uh, that's not a source of methane we work with. Today, Arman, we are primarily looking at uh, scaling up with either natural gas or with biogas. Okay, cool. Thank you for explaining that. Um, now, a lot of people will be interested who are creating these complex solutions, whether it be in you know biotechnology, pharmaceutical, anywhere, you know, sustainability, um, in the process of creating this technology and this IP, you know, it must take years because it's, or it must take a long time. And could you talk a little bit about, you know, some of the challenges that you will face as an entrepreneur when you're, you know, creating this unique technology that may not necessarily be out there. Uh, Some of the challenges that you will face while creating the technology, potentially getting funding and keeping, you know, motivation, you know, amongst all the previous challenges to keep going, especially, you know, keeping the patience to keep going. Yeah, yeah. So that's, um, I can talk for a long time about that, but I think we have only like 45 minutes in all. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, I think uh, if you want to do something like this, I think it's very, very critical that um, you're very clear in your mind and in your heart about why you're doing what you're doing. Because I think there are many, many points during the journey where you have to stop and you will stop and you will question yourself saying, why am I even trying to do this? 
right? Because mm-hmm. it feels a lot of times like you're screaming into the winds, and um, but you have to find the energy to keep going. Uh, so I think fundamentally, as an entrepreneur, if you particularly want to do something that is not just a simple shift in our way of life, but a large uh, paradigm shift, right, in terms of redefining how uh, processes or uh, value chains work, I think it takes time. Mm-hmm. It takes time to develop the fundamental technology. It also takes time in terms of changing the businesses and changing the um, uh, changing the mindsets around, right? So I think in our case, if you ask me, I think um, at every stage of our work, the challenges have been different and many. Uh, but if I were to name a few, I think one of the first things for us was um, for this kind of work, right? Uh, trying to find the right team and build the right team around it. I think that took time. Happy to say that, you know, we've got a really driven uh, team that is driving this work forward. But definitely mm-hmm. we had we had to go through a lot of iterations before we were able to pull that team together. Uh, and I think the second is, uh, is just... Uh, for people to get used to the fact that something like this takes time, right? It's not, uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of technology, but it is not a software that can be turned around in six months or a year's time, right? It is, uh, mm-hmm. you have to work on the biology. For In our case, you work on the biology, you work on the engineering, you then work on enhancing the efficiencies, and then you work on testing your product in the market, make sure it's validated, it's safe, um, and then scaling it up. So I think at each stage, the challenges are different. Um, outside of that, I want to say one of the biggest challenges for something like this in this ecosystem is um, is the capital, right? Being able to find the capital at the right time mm-hmm. uh, to be able to scale from here. Because one of the things that uh, that we've come across is that the simplest thing for people to say is it's very difficult to do this kind of work from within India, right? So why don't you move to a U.S. or European system where it is um, set up to do this kind of work? I think that's kind of one of the uh, easiest responses that people give us. So mm-hmm. I think that's been a challenge, attracting the capital to this kind of work in India, particularly knowing that the timelines are long, right, to be able to do this kind of work. I would say that's the second challenge, although I have to say mm-hmm. in that uh, area, we we were fortunate enough to get some early stage uh, funding from uh, the Department of Biotechnology in Bayrak. Um, which mm-hmm. they're doing a phenomenal job actually funding some high-risk work in this um, in the biotech space. So that that's definitely pluses. There are a lot of pluses, right? But the ecosystem is not there yet where uh, the kind of deep tech uh, bio, synthetic biology or biotechnology work that we do is, uh, is a norm. Mm. So just to make sure I got that right, you know, one of the biggest challenges you're saying is potentially doing this in India because we don't have, you know, necessarily the extreme focus on these deep technology areas that 
you know, some Western countries like the U.S. may have. Is, is that correct in saying that? Uh, yes and no. I mean, we, I think we are uh, we are getting there, but definitely mm -hmm. at the U.S. See, when you talk about this kind of work, um, the technology is just one aspect of it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the business needs to have evolved around it. The uh, the the uh, the investors you need uh, you need the kind of investors in the ecosystem who are willing to put in the capital to support this kind of work. So I think there are many uh, different uh, stakeholders that need to come together for technologies like this to come up, succeed, mm -hmm. and brought to market. And I think uh, although the things are changing very rapidly in India, it's not mm -hmm. there yet compared to a Western ecosystem. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Um, and I, I wanted to go back to, you know, the application of, you know, your first product in the, you know, food and feed sector a little bit um, and specifically focus on, you know, the potential for human food and, you know, how this could solve, you know, large problems for us. Because before doing this podcast, I was doing a lot of research into food sustainability. And I don't think, you know, several of us know that the criticality of this situation where the population is growing exponentially and our current food requirements and our current food food yields from our crop do not meet you know the you know the large growing demand of our population and so could you talk a little bit about um that problem first could you tell us a little bit about you know what are the challenges that we're going to face unless we start innovating in these areas and focusing on these areas. And could you talk about a little bit about the potential for this? When will it come? You know, because um, there are several companies in the US, you know, doing this, not in the same way that you guys are doing it, but they're going through, um, they're also biotech companies like Beyond Meat who are using different amino acids to create meat, um, alternative meats. So could you talk a little bit about one, the problem if we don't innovate fast and the challenges we're gonna face and two, when do you think this will become more mainstream and all, a lot of us will be eating alternative meat regularly? Sure, sure. So uh, in terms of the drivers for this, uh, for uh, the alternative protein space, Arman, I think, as you mentioned, uh, you know, the drivers are kind of three key and critical drivers for why there's so much focus on the alternative protein space right now. One, I think very simply put, is just insufficiency, right? The population is growing and we know that by about 2050, we'll be at least 9.6 billion people. Mm -hmm. um, and already, if you look at Asia, which is home to two of the largest populations among this, you have a protein-starved nation, right? Uh, so how do you actually get to feeding that 9.6 billion people, but feeding them right I think that's going to that's is one of the key drivers for this. But I think equally important is uh, uh, a second key driver for this is also safety, right? I mean, in terms of the food that is on your plate today, I think one of uh, uh, the prevalent concern for most people today is, you know, what is the level of pesticide in my food? What are the mm -hmm. level of let's say chemical contaminants that have been used to this? Are there any antibiotics that have been fed to the meat that is on my plate? 
right? So you have a lot of questions around the safety. And like what I mentioned before, for us to be able to scale this food system, to be able to feed those 9.6 billion people safely, I think that's the second key driver for why there's so much focus on the alternative protein space. And third is, you know, sustainability, right? I mean, I think um, today, uh, you know, today is kind of, I was just thinking before we got on this call that today is a really interesting day for us to be having this conversation. I mean, Bangalore is quiet, right? For the mm -hmm. first time, where <laughs> I am, I'm able to hear the birds and kind of feel my own thoughts without the yeah. honk, honking, yeah, right? Uh, mm -hmm. non-stop honking so i think the third question is sustainability i'll just give mm. you an example right i mean uh, one of the primary so, uh, protein sources that uh, the animal farms rely on is soybean meal okay but to be able to grow the amount of soybean meal that we require uh, as you may be knowing there's a rampant deforestation in brazil Right, and because of that huge uh, environmental impact by cutting down uh, the trees massively, doing back-to-back -back soybean cultivation, uh, losing soil fertility, right? So it's, uh, I mean, the impact, the repercussions are huge. Mm -hmm. I think that's the other key driver for us to actually take a step back and say, hey, wait, if you're going to feed these, uh, you know, this many people, should we continue to build the food system the way it is it has been built or are there better ways for us to do this? I think that's the key driver. And uh, in terms of where things are, I think, as you mentioned, right, there are products that are already in the uh, uh, food market today, right? Your Beyond Meat, Impossible mm -hmm. Food Burger, I think these have already hit the market. So it's not like we're talking about a future technology. We're talking about products that are hitting the market now. Uh, and that also shows you the need for why we need these kind of solutions now. In terms of strings solution here itself, as, I, uh, you know, as we discussed earlier, the protein that we are making, we are taking it initially into the feed market. Mm -hmm. And uh, that product itself will hit the market uh, in 2021, right? So we're right now, in commercial scales of production, and we expect the first product to come into the feed market next year. In terms of going into the human market for us, one of the key uh, things that we're waiting on is uh, for regulatory approval uh, on the product itself. So once that, so the product itself is ready and the process is there for us to be able to take this protein into the food market. But once we have the regulatory approval, then we'll go into the food market. Cool. Um, and I just wanted to ask, out of curiosity, uh, knowing that India is perceived as a very um, vegetarian country, but, you know, the actual st statistics behind that, you know, don't necessarily show that, you know, sometimes I read and I haven't validated these statistics, so I don't want to, you know, say with a surety, but, you know, you, you see that 60 to 70 percent of India is non-vegetarian in some form meaning that they eat meat at least once in a while. Now, I wanted to know, is this protein that you're creating, will it be considered non-vegetarian or vegetarian? Because it's not taken directly from animals. 
Yeah, that's a very interesting question, right? So, uh, so do you have curd in your food? Mm-hmm. You do? Yeah. Okay. So is curd vegetarian or non-vegetarian? Vegetarian. Okay, so right? if curd is vegetarian, then our mm-hmm. protein is vegetarian. Okay. Okay. So, so why I said that is, so when you look at curd, what you're doing is you're converting uh the the milk the proteins in milk um mm-hmm. right you're curdling the proteins in milk using lactobacillus mm-hmm. right so using bacteria to basically convert the milk and what we do and you are when you have your curd you're basically having whole bacteria right because again there's a huge growing market or in the case of probiotics mm-hmm. because there are bacteria that are naturally good for your gut Right in our mm-hmm. case, we use something very similar. We're using bacteria to convert methane. We're going a step further, and we're just purifying the protein component of that out. Wow! So you know the the potential application in India is huge because you know, like you're saying, you can target 100% of the country. Um, so that's that's very uh, that's very cool. And you know, the last thing on the business I want to ask you is. You guys won the best food tech startup of the world. Um, could you talk a little bit about that and, you know, the kind of, um, you know, guarantee or, or assurances or validation that this has given, you know, string moving forward? And how does that help you feel about, you know, the mission that you're on? Yeah, yeah. Uh... So for us, uh, Arman, what that gave us, as you mentioned, was what it gave us was it gave us um, validation on a global platform, right? So mm-hmm. for us, the early years, we were largely under stealth mode and mostly focusing on just uh, doing the early technology development, fine-tuning our efficiencies. And I think when we won the food tech uh, startup award I think that was in Paris and before that we won a future food tech in uh, Singapore I think both these platforms gave us validation globally and what it did for us is uh, it had the larger global players reach out to us as mm. opposed to us reaching out to them and uh, so that was a big conversation uh, shift right because being a team from within India developing this technology and then reaching out to these larger players would have been uh, completely different dynamics as opposed to them saying, okay, here's a company that's doing very interesting work and we want to talk to you. So that uh, I think that's where it really helped. And just bringing awareness to the fact that uh, we were here, we were building this. And uh, one of the other differentiators for our technology, which also relates to what you're asking is the way we went about developing this technology is uh, we kept it extremely capital efficient to scale. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this goes back to the fact that we can work with both uh, so nat- both natural gas and biogas. So if you look at natural gas, there are usually large volumes of methane available in one site. So we are mm-hmm. able to natural gas and build let's say large facilities that can produce a hundred thousand tons or two hundred thousand tons of proteins in one place okay but then you mm-hmm. also have biogas in other places where the volumes are not very large 
and because of the approach we took we are able to do both we are able to have these large centralized facilities but we are also able to have small uh, distributed facilities right and that is a very attractive market for geography uh, like asia because one it allows us to work at both ends you can have smaller uh, sites as well as you can have large centralized facilities one and it also allows us to be extremely capital efficient so uh, and i think that's the other thing that uh, these platforms helped us do is one it provided validation but it also provided uh, some of the key differentiators that was inherently built in within the string technology that we could then take and scale wow wow that's that's very cool and i i can completely see how you know this validation like you're saying it you know it put you guys and string on another level of visibility you know in the you know advancement of what you guys are looking to do and i just want to you know transition into a little bit you know on the personal side now um you know you're the first person that i've interviewed that has actually started the company with their partner um like you mentioned you started it with your husband vinod um you know i think it could be interesting for you know if there are any listeners that are looking to start a company with their partner uh could you like enlighten us on a few you know challenges and or maybe some tips that we should be keeping in mind if you know you're about to do that because you know i i can imagine there would be some challenges there yeah <laughs> challenges and advantages i have to say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so i think on the plus side what it actually helps us do is i think uh, both of us have very uh, complementary skills right so i am uh, i have my skill set in the biotech space on the technology side and vinod brings in a lot of expertise on uh, strategy running very large teams operations so i think uh, uh, i think it helps to have that very clear division of labor right in terms mm-hmm. of who's and knowing uh, what are one's strengths and what are one's weaknesses so there are you know there are areas that uh, uh, even though i'm able to think about it i would always run it past the known i think the other i'm not sure if it's a plus or a minus but i have to say that uh, there's always work talk at home right mm. <laughs> right so yeah, i can imagine <laughs> uh from the time you're up the first thought you know it's about okay uh, about work and uh, that's something that we struggle with on a daily basis to say okay you know here's our hour of time out we're not going to talk anything about string so mm-hmm. i think uh, it's it's a plus and a minus um uh, but i have to say i think it's uh, uh you know i keep going back to the purpose of why we want to do this right uh i think uh to be able to uh do something that really has an impact on impact on society impact on a larger number of people i think that's that's a why that drives my work every day and i think uh, that's the same for vinod as well so i think once you're very clear on that it's it's nice to have that partnership that trust that you can completely rely on right mm-hmm. that you can turn to and also uh, having that complementary skill set i think me from a technology side and him from a strategy and operation side that's really helpful as well in terms of tips i don't know i think you know how like each marriage is its own story mm-hmm. i think uh, you have to figure out 
uh, what the rules are and how uh, you know how you can figure out uh, ways to keep work and home life going at the same time yeah Th- thank you for that and i you know i'm sure you know trust like you said is probably the biggest differentiator because you know that's something that you definitely get when you're you know starting a business with your partner um and now i, I want a little ask a little bit about you and i want to know um you know as well what's your personal ambition you know what is the mission that you're on and you know what what's the kind of impact that you want to leave so on the science side um i'll start on the science side for me i think um i'm really fascinated by um by the power of biology and mm-hmm. i think be able to uh, leverage that power and to be able to develop a solution that can make a real impact in life uh, for other people's lives i think that's 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 something that i'm really driving for right and mm-hmm. you know on the personal side i uh, we are a family i mean we are three sisters and i had uh, my father was um, you know extremely well accomplished lawyer cum politician and i think one of the amazing things for me he recently passed away was that was just the impact that he could have in the world around him and i think that's one of the other uh, drivers for me is i think uh, how was small right even if you just impact like three people around you i think being able to create being able to do something every day that can make the smallest positive change i think around you i think that's my personal driver that's an amazing mission and just to conclude is there any call to action that you would like to say to the audience anything they can do to help in the food sustainability mission or even learn more about it i think um, you know i mean these are interesting times unprecedented times i think we should uh, i hope we take this time to sit back and uh, uh, you know be the driver for the change because at the end of the day you know solutions like what string is bringing to market right it is going to be uh, driven by the market demanding for the solutions right mm-hmm. and i think uh, today is a good day for us to remind ourselves perhaps that uh, the shortcuts in the long term can have very high cost and consequences and i think uh, you know whatever solutions we demand as consumers i think ensuring that um, there's safety in them there's traceability in them and there's uh, you know sustainable scalability in them inbuilt in these solutions mm-hmm. i think is something that the consumer should uh, be driven by and i think that's i mean i think that is an everyday common man right even the smallest of things thinking about using using things more sustainably and um, looking for things that are built with inherent safety in them um i think if each of us make those better choices um i think we can have i mean uh, we can have much uh, bigger impact and much bigger change i think going forward yeah i i definitely agree with that and i just want to say on one last point it's you know 
like you're saying, at all of this uncertainty and in this time, whether that be through you know the virus that's going around or whether that be through we're seeing we're at a crux point in sustainability, in food sustainability, um, you know it's cool to know that now not only are people very interested to get into these you know huge problems, but you know there's a way to profitably run a sustainable a sustainable business out of it. Yeah, it may be, you know, potentially, um, you know, a tough time right now, but it's cool to see that there is still a lot of opportunity for us to, you know, create an impact. And I think, um, you know, that's that's great to know. And I think that's a great place to end. And I want to say, Ezel, thank you so much for your time. I know it's been a very busy and hectic time, so I really appreciate you getting on the podcast. Thank you, Arman. Thank you for uh, having me on the podcast and thank you for your Thank you for your interesting questions um, and uh, hope to connect soon in Bangalore.